0: I'd like to take this time to welcome to the pulpit our preacher this morning, Reverend Michael Tannis. It's funny how God can use seasons of our lives to be a blessing on people, and he might never know how it works out. Michael and his wife, Mary, have uh, apparently spent most of their adult lives weaving themselves into my own life, even without realizing. Michael has been a friend of Lighty's Church for many years, as he and his wife worshipped with us back in the 90s. They went on to the Upper Perk area, and Michael became the pastor at Community Bible Fellowship Church in Red Hill, which is how my wife and her family got to know them. He co-officiated my wedding with John in 2012, and he saved my marriage 10 years later by helping me spackle and paint my basement before my wife's Thanksgiving deadline. (laughs) Three days before. Uh, Most recently... Michael has been Executive Director at the Upper Perk YMCA, where he recently announced his retirement. Michael, thank you for joining us this morning. Please come and teach us from God's Word.
1: Thanks, Tim. It is a delight to be back at Lydie's Church. My wife and I, as we passed our old home, We almost started crying because we have such tremendous memories of being here, not just in the community, but here at this church, Lydie's Church. God has done a very, very wonderful and rich, powerful work in my life while I was here, which carried me through all my years of ministry till this day. Now, I'm pulling out a prop for anybody under 18 years old. This is a telephone Now, I tend to like to um, uh, entertain when I have a microphone in front of me, but this morning will be a little bit different. Um, I, well, let me say a little bit more. I, I, was, I was thinking back on our time here, and one of the richest things that I was involved in was a men's prayer group on Saturday morning, and uh, really God blessed that time in my life. Uh, again, just wonderful time. And then Tim, when he invited me to preach, I asked, well, what should I wear? He goes, just dress casual. I said, I'm not going to dress casual. I've got robes from the Emmanuel Lighty's Ladies Guild that they gave me as I went to my first church. And I was going to wear my robes. He said, no, no you better not do that. <laughs> so, but I wore, at least went halfway through and got a tie. So um, anyway, so thank you, ladies. I still have those robes and stoles. And that was a really again a wonderful gift. Lighty's been a wonderful gift to me. The sermon this morning, it is not milk, it is meat and potatoes. We just prayed. Uh, we just prayed in the confession of sin. Forgive the shallowness of our hearts, draw us into deeper, draw us deeper into your truth. And I really suspect that what I want to present here is just that very thing, not child things, but adult things, meat and potatoes. Um, My first illustration is just fun, but it'll draw a point, my first point, but um, what am I hoping to do this morning? I want to drive a stake of God's grace deep into our souls and hearts, into our bones and marrow, into our souls and spirits the hammer I'm going to use to drive that stake deep into our hearts is the infinitude of Christ. Infinitude. It's the divine attribute of the infinite nature of Jesus, our Savior. I just want us to understand a little more deeply again (laughs) the nature of God's grace in his gospel to us and have great joy this morning. Leave with great joy about Christ's work. All right. I get a phone call. Ah, robocall. Put, put it up here. Oh, hi, grandkids. You, you taught the dog to bark in a but spe- I'm not interested. Oh, hi, hi, grandkids. You want to chat a little bit? Not now, guys. Not now. I I just don't have time. I'll see you later. Yes, yes. Son-in-law. Yeah, yeah, Nick. How you doing? You want to talk? I'm not going to talk now. I don't have time. Goodbye. Brianna, my daughter, how are you? You want to talk? I don't want to. No, I don't have time. I'm sorry. No. Goodbye. John Niederhaus, you're you're with you Stan Ott and Tom Lighty, uh, huh? No, I don't have time for you guys. Goodbye. <laughs> the appalling nature of being offend uh, being offensive to people increases with the degree in which. They should be honored and loved and respected. So you laugh the loudest with Pastor John and Stan and Tom. (laughs) But really, work with me here. Everybody should be loved and appreciated and honored. But as someone far above and needs respect and do give honor to whom honor is due, the Bible says, so the offense increases. It takes me to my first point. My first point this morning in driving this stake about God's grace in our life deeper into our souls is this. The first point is the an infinite offense requires an infinite punishment. We read this morning, they asked Jesus, what's the first and greatest commandment? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Well, we don't, as we freely said this morning. But how does it work theologically that we don't do this? And with this, I, I have a quote or two this morning from very powerful passages. This one from Jonathan Edwards, who wrote in the 1700s. Please, again, this is meat and potatoes, not milk. Edwards writes this. The offense of you not loving another person is proportionably more or less bad as you are under greater or lesser obligation to love and honor that person. So therefore, if there is any being that we are under infinite obligation to love and honor, then not loving and honoring that person must make you infinitely guilty. Moreover... Our obligation to love and honor, obey anyone or any being is in proportion to their loveliness, honorableness, and authority over our lives. But God is a being infinitely lovely because he has infinite excellency and beauty and authority. And so, it follows. Edwards writes, Sin against God is a violation of infinite obligation to love Him, and must therefore be a crime of infinite guilt, and so deserving of infinite punishment. The eternity, infinite time, of punishment Of unrepentant men makes it infinite. And therefore, an eternity of punishment makes it a fair and equitable punishment to what men are guilty of. How sad that could be true for so many people. I'm going to work how it's wonderfully good to realize the infinite offense is being taken care of by our Lord and Savior. But the first point again, an infinite offense requires an infinite punishment. Well, how does Edwards get there? Our scripture reading. I'm going to read him again with this in mind. An infinite offense requires an infinite punishment. Is that biblical? Is that theologically sound? Listen to Daniel again. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name is written in the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everlasting punishment. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like stars forever and ever. Again, Isaiah 66 passage. How does Jonathan Edwards get this idea? Infinite offense requires infinite punishment. (laughs) Isaiah. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out, the people who are with the Lord, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of men who have rebelled against me. For the worm shall not die, And the fire shall not be quenched. Infinite punishment. Because of infinite offense to a holy God who is due our love, respect, and obedience. This brings us to our second point this morning. And the second scripture that I'm going to read to you. The second point is this. You cannot provide that infinite payment for your sin. But we sort of all know that here at Lydies. But I'm just going to play with it a little bit. But Jesus could provide that. (laughs) It's a wonderful thing because of his infinite nature. But listen to this. It's a very fascinating passage in Psalm. Psalm 49, 7. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of your life is costly and can never suffice. Even if you see and live on forever and never see the pit. Psalm 49.7. Even if you live forever in death, you will not pay for your sins long enough. It's not long enough for the infinite offense. You cannot provide that infinite payment for sin, but Jesus could. The infinite nature of the mighty Son of God gives him, that infinite nature gives him the divine muscle to pay for all of our sins forevermore it's a good, good news. news such good news praise god is right by the way i want to say something too i forgot when i was beginning i don't mind pausing here momentarily it is such a beautiful thing to sit in the front and hear everybody sing and hear you say the Lord, lord's prayer together and hear you say the apostles creed together wow how heart-filling Nothing to do with my sermon. I thought I'd throw it in for extra benefit. Another great quote from another great writer, uh, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly. Dane Ortland, he has two books out Gentle and Lowly and Deeper, just powerful, powerful books. Again, good stuff here. This is what Dane Ortland writes. What happened at the cross for those of us who claim to be its beneficiaries? It's beyond calculating comprehension, of course. A three-year-old can't comprehend the pain of a spouse feels when cheated on. How much could less could we comprehend what it means for God to funnel the cumulative judgment for all the sinfulness of all his people down onto one man, Jesus But reflecting on what we feel towards, say, the perpetrator of some unthinkable act of abuse towards an innocent victim, that gives us a taste of what God felt towards Christ as he stood in for the sins of his people. The righteous human wrath that we feel, the wrath that would be wrong not to feel, over some act of evil. It's just a drop in the ocean of righteous divine wrath the Father unleashed on Jesus. He took it all. After all, Ortland continues, God punished Jesus not for the sin of just one person, but many, many of us. What must it mean when Isaiah says of the servant, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all? What was it for Christ to swallow down the cumulative, twistedness, self-enthronement, natural God-hatred of the elect, us? What must it have been for the sum total of righteous divine wrath generated not by just one man's sin, but the iniquity of us all, come crashing down onto one single soul, Jesus. It's speculation, Dane writes. But for myself, I cannot believe it was physical extremity that killed Jesus. What is physical torture? compared to the full weight of centuries of cumulative wrath absorption. See, this is the glorious goodness and beauty of our Christian faith. The infinite nature of Jesus as the infinite Son of God, the second person of our Godhead, Secure for us a payment for our sins, the ransom of our lives, the punishment for all of our sins, that is infinite in value because He's the infinite Son of God. And therefore, third point, you can be sure that as you trust in Jesus and His death on your cross, on the cross, on your behalf, that you're completely forgiven of all your sins. Your soul's well-being can rest in unspeakable joy and peace. You're loved with an everlasting love. Your sins, past, present, and future are washed, cleaned from your conscience. This is good news. (laughs) This is wonderful news. My friends at Lighting's, if we're really not that sinful, why did the infant and mighty Son of God have to die? But Tim Keller, he's so beautiful and teasing this out, and he says, you know, we are so bad, God had to die for us. But we're so loved, God wanted to die for us. It's a beautiful thing. This is our great gospel. This is what we offer the world, our neighbors, our friends. And so Hebrews rightly says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. The infinite Son of God. Consequently, he, this is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, for us. (laughs) Jesus, because he's done this great, powerful work of atonement on our behalf, he not only recognizes the sin he died for, but he prays for us. Mercy, mercy for them. Look what I did, Father. Mercy for them. My sheep, John writes about Jesus, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Ah, oh, such good news. Yeah, Another pause here quickly. I hardly ever sweat, but I was like really sweating before I came up here. <laughs> Because it's nerve-wracking and scary to be a preacher. I'm just telling you that. But it's also a tremendous delight to be able to share this good news with you. To hammer down God's grace, hammer it home, hammer the stake down hard because of the infinite nature of our Savior. We are completely forgiven, perfectly loved, accepted and approved by our great God because of what Jesus has done. He smiles on us. He shouts over us. Zephaniah says, with shouts of joy, he quiets us with his love. He rejoices over us with singing. Zephaniah chapter 3. This it, this might be if you only hear, if you only catch on to one thing I say this morning, I think it would be this. As I reviewed my notes, I quick-jotted this down. It's this. My brothers and sisters, before you ever really think that you have a sin, or you you come to realize you've sinned, that it needs to be repented of and forgiven, Christ died for it already. And you don't got to make up for it. You just have to realize he died so you you can be forgiven for it. You are forgiven for it. You stand in forgiveness. You stand in his grace. And he's interceding on your behalf before you even realized that sin. He died for it. He knew it ahead of time. And that's good news. That is good news. Galatians, he says this. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness could could be gained through the works of the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But Christ did die for a great purpose. This is such glorious good news. Jesus, the mighty and infinite Son of God, took all of our sins away so that the rich and powerful good pleasure of God's mercy and grace are ours who trust in Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Last quote. John Piper, let the nations be glad. I return to this all the time in my work at the YMCA where the sea is lost heavily at my particular Y group, my association. Very sad, Young Men's Christian Association. It's lost sadly. Sadly. Lately, I've been in strong uh, discussions, dialogues with the people who own the policies and culture of the why, and I've pushed back heavily, and ultimately, I always come down to this point, if Christmas and Easter are not true, then I'm just blowing smoke, but because Christmas and Easter are true, what I'm preaching about is true, it's real, it's right, We know right from wrong. We know what our moral compass should say because the Bible tells us so. Piper. Something of immense historical significance happened with the coming of the Son of God into the world. So great was the significance of this event that the focus of saving faith was henceforth made to center on Jesus Christ alone. So fully does Christ sum up all the revelation of God and all the hopes of God's people that it would be henceforth a dishonor to him should saving faith rest on anyone else but him. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, his mercies are. What riches of kindness he lavished on us! His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. Blessings, ladies, church. Thanks for having me.